G'day and welcome to Dolby Anglican Online. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled The Parable of the Sower and it focuses on the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 to 23. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. Glory Glory to to you, Lord Lord Jesus Christ. This can be found on page 1219, 1219 of the Pew Bibles. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what has taken from him, or even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because you have seen, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Listen to them, then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, indeed, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Open our hearts to hear your word and may it produce a harvest, a hundredfold, sixtyfold or thirtyfold to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, please take a seat. And as you do so, um, you might want to open up your Bibles to page 1219 where we're looking at that familiar parable, which which starts with these familiar words. A farmer went out to sow his seed. These famous words of Jesus kick kick off a series of seven parables in Matthew's Gospel. And they start with the one at hand today, which Jesus himself names the parable of the sower. It's well-known and well-loved, and it's simple enough. But it does present us with some problems to work through. Why does Jesus tell these simple stories when he's talking about the serious business of heaven and hell? Does Jesus really tell parables to exclude people? Who is the sower? And who are we in this parable? This weekend, I watched a documentary called Kingdom by a journalist called Mark Fennell. The documentary is brilliant, brilliantly shot, brilliantly cut, brilliantly, um, brilliantly told. And it tells the story of Hillsong Church. Um, and it's generally critical of its business practices and its leaders. Some parts I agreed with. Other parts I felt presented an unfair portrayal of Hillsong and its members, the vast majority of whom are sincere Christians just trying to walk the way of Jesus as best they can. The documentary isn't a simple beat up on Christianity piece, though. As Fennell tells the story, we realize that he is part of the story. He grew up in Hillsong and churches like it and walked away from Christianity at the age of 15. One of the most confronting bits in the documentary is when Fennell visits a Pentecostal church which he dubs the next Hillsong. The service is highly emotional with great music, an inspiring message from a brilliant speaker and a call to respond. The people around Mark uh, sing, they dance, they stand, they raise their hands in worship. But he sits there in shock. After the service, Fennell breaks down in the car park. And I've I've got the clip for you, um, and we're going to see if it works. uh, Because he says something really profound. There's nothing here for me. If I feel nothing... Everyone else in that room is either lying 
and they're putting on an act as well. Or there is a God and he's powerfully speaking through every single one of those people and he has actively chosen to ignore me. And that is worse. So did you hear it? He said, either there is no God and everyone in that room is lying, or there is a God and he is actively ignoring me. And he says, and that's worse. And that, and that really hit me. And it got me reflecting. Is this what Jesus is saying in verse 11 when he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Are parables cryptic analogies Jesus uses to exclude people like Mark Fennell? And the answer, I think, is, well, yes and no. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's attracting big crowds, bigger than in that church that Mark Fennell visits that day. The crowd he speaks to on that day is so big that Jesus needs to get into a boat in order to speak to them all. He, he, he gets into a boat and it's in this little cove and he creates this natural amphitheater. The people can sit on the cove on the beaches, sloping upwards, and Jesus speaks out to them. And the crowd is diverse. Some are gawkers. They're there to see if Jesus is going to do a magic trick or say something entertaining. Some actively oppose Jesus. With every healing and every big gathering, they get more anxious that Jesus is going to take their power away. Some are curious, open to what Jesus says, but not quite sure if he's worth following. Others are committed disciples. Women, men and children who've been following Jesus for some time, who've committed to him and are already experiencing the glory of the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus uses parables. Parables are designed to conceal and to reveal. Douglas O'Donnell says it like this. Parables conceal the truth from those who will not submit to Christ and his rule. And also, parables reveal the truth to those who, by God's grace, will submit to Christ and his rule. In other words, there's an openness. There's a little bit of legwork on behalf of us. Are we ready to do the hard yards of trying to understand what Jesus says or are we ready to dismiss him straight up? As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, his teaching becomes more explicit and more inflammatory. But at this stage in his ministry, he uses parables to reveal the truth about the kingdom of God to those who have ears to listen, eyes to see, and hearts open to receive the truth of the gospel. His critics are left scratching their heads, wondering why Jesus is talking about farming. 
But to those who open their hearts to his words and cling to his teachings, he says this, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. The kingdom is coming and it's being revealed. The question is, are we ready to let it germinate in our hearts and bear fruit? And that brings us to the promise of this parable. The promise is in the yields. Now, three quarters of this seed seems to be wasted. This crazy farmer chucks the seed out willy-nilly. But that's the point. Back then, farmers sowed by hand. And you can see, this farmer can see where his field is. He can see where the path is. He can see where the rocky soil is. He can see weeds. A good farmer would never intentionally sow seed on paths, rocky soil, or allow weeds to grow up around their crop. Today, in our age of GPS-guided tractors and laser-guided crop spraying, if I were to tell you that 25% of the seed I sow on a regular basis germinates and bears fruit, you'd tell me to get out of farming. Maybe after the service, you're going to tell me never to go into farming anyway. (laughs) And that's the point. Jesus is not talking about farming techniques. Our good and generous God gives us every opportunity to hear, experience, and receive the gospel. This is not a good way to farm, but it is an awesome way to love. We are called to share God's love, to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus as freely as God does. At the same time, we need to see the harvest. Harvesters, sorry, farmers at the time, uh, might have hoped to harvest maybe four to five times as much seed as they planted. A tenfold yield was a bumper crop. A 30-fold yield would allow you to pay off your debts and go on holiday. A 60-fold yield would allow you to buy a villa on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias and retire for the rest of your life. A 100-fold yield was unthinkable. Jesus is saying that when the gospel takes root in the human heart and finally bears a harvest, the impact is awesome, glorious, And everlasting. Yes, some will hear the gospel and Satan will come and snatch it away. He'll tell them that it's a lie that Jesus rose from the dead. That heaven and hell are a fairy tale for superstitious and backward people. But it's worth it for the harvest. Yes, some will hear the gospel, receive it with joy, and then work commitments and the pressures of life will get in the way of church and church family life. Loved ones will make fun of their assurance and their faith 
will get scorched. But it's worth it for the harvest. Yes, some will appear to hear the gospel, grow in faith, maybe spend some time in church, maybe get involved in the church, appear to thrive, but then they'll get worried. And their worries will choke them. They'll pursue money, status, and comfort above Jesus. And slowly their trust in him will die. But again, Jesus is saying, look at the harvest. It's worth it for the harvest. With all these failed crops, you'd think the sower would give up or at least change their methods. But no. God the sower keeps getting up day after day, month after month, year after year to call us home. That's the thing I've often struggled with in the past. You sort of think, well, this is a one-time only deal, but it's not. By using a farmer, Jesus is saying this is a regular, seasonal, annual thing that just keeps on going. And that is how our God functions. This is our God. He knows about the friends who used to sit beside you in church but won't even talk about faith anymore. He knows about your children who grew up in Sunday school and church but no longer believe in God. He's seen the times you've tried to share the good news of Jesus or invite someone to church and it's fallen on deaf ears. He weeps with you. He knows that frustration. But he calls you back into the harvest field. Because as we learned back in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. It's interesting that the sower isn't identified here in Matthew. Jesus explains the parable, but he doesn't tell us who the sower is. And I think this is intentional because the sower is God, but the sower can also be bishops, evangelists, teachers, and it's also you. In fact, it's mainly you. (laughs) By virtue of our baptism, we are called to make disciples who make disciples, to play our part in sowing seeds of faith and sharing the gospel. Sometimes we'll never see the effect of what we say and what we do. But Jesus promises that it will bear a harvest. Yes, sharing the gospel is hard. Yes, it often falls on deaf ears. It happened with Jesus and it will happen to us. But that's no reason to give up And that's no reason to let go of the harvest. Our job is to follow our God into the harvest field and to scatter seed as lovingly and freely as he does. And when it lands, hearts will be set on fire, lives will be changed, and people will become part of God's family for eternity. What harvest could be more vital? What calling could be higher? What salvation could be more wonderful than that?
And so I challenge you to think about how you're going to apply this teaching from Jesus today. But this week, I'm going to write to Mark Fennell. And you can, you can ask me next week if I did. Um, keep me accountable. I'm going to write to him and I'm going to tell him about this passage. I'm going to tell him that God exists and that God doesn't want to exclude him. There weren't only two options in that car park that day. I'll tell him that God loves him and doesn't want to isolate him or damn him to hell without the opportunity to repent. Maybe his faith was pecked away by Satan or maybe it got burned up or maybe anxiety or fame or fortune choked it out. But God is going back into that harvest field. God is still sowing. God still loves the world so much that he's calling us all to repent, turn to Jesus, and take our place in the kingdom of God. I'm going to finish with uh, the words of N.T. Wright, an Anglican theologian, who concludes this. He says, Like the crowds on the lake shore that day, Our task again and again as we read scripture and think about God's work in our own day is to think it through and figure it out. Matthew's gospel is designed to help us do that. It won't always be easy. Christianity is not about cozy little lessons to make us feel better. It's about what God's doing in the world what he's already done in Jesus and what he wants to do through us today. What sort of stories ought we to be telling to get people to listen? Where can we tell them so that the people will hear as the crowds did on the lake shore that day? How can we lavishly share the gospel and live the gospel so that those around us might have ears to hear and be compelled to be good soil and to receive the gospel today? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.